Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can rest assured that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Tonight we can know that we know that your word is eternal because you and your word are inseparable. So we thank you tonight. I pray tonight for a spirit of revelation in this room. Lord, that we would all grasp what it is you would like to say to us and that we would hear your voice. Lord, we didn't come to hear me or to see me. We came to see you and to seek your face. So I ask tonight that you be lifted up, Jesus, and that you manifest your word to us and we give you praise for it and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You realize that... uh, we're wartime Christians, right? <clears throat> I mean, this is a time of war, and we are wartime Christians. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, that, that's pretty clear that there's, there's a fight to fight and that there's a war to, fight, to, 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 enro- to enlist for. Sadly, we find that many Christians don't want to fight. Yeah. I would say probably most Christians don't know they're supposed to fight. Don't understand that, 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 that Christianity is about the Christ. It's not about the disciple. It's about the Christ. Jesus is the reason for Christianity. Many and probably most think that being a Christian means that all things are supposed to be easy for us. You know, I mean, I... I remember one time as a young Christian, I thought if it was hard, it wasn't the Lord. I mean, you know, if if it if there was any any struggle at all involved, then I thought, well, that can't be God because it's got to be easy because He'll, you know, the anointing makes everything greasy and and smooth. <clears throat> found out that when the Philistines found out that David was anointed, they didn't back away. They met him and fought against him. The anointing drew the enemy. Do you realize that? But I want the anointing so I don't have to do anything. No, the anointing makes it easier because it invites the power of God. But it's the anointing that's it's going to draw those who oppose God. It'll, it'll draw spirits. Sometimes we have the idea, well, we're, we're the blessed. We are the blessed. We're the healed. We're the prospered. We're the delivered. Well, we are all those things. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And... We are blessed with Abraham's blessing, the Bible says. All that's true. But the Bible speaks of a warfare that's necessary to keep the enemy at bay, to keep him from stealing what Jesus has already purchased for us, Mm -hmm. to keep him out of our pockets. We have to fight a war. There's a fight to fight. It's been won for us already by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. It's already been accomplished, but you and I have a fight of faith that we fight so that we can stand and maintain those promises that God has given to us. Most people think that there shouldn't be anything that we have to do but show up a few times on Sunday morning. A few times a year, maybe. And then we'll have earned all that is necessary. Because Christians today feel largely entitled to all that God has given us, and we feel like that we can earn it. The Bible doesn't seem to agree with that. Here's what I'm going to read you some scriptures, 5 to be exact. 1 Timothy 6.12 says... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
1 Timothy 1.18 says, This charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before thee, that thou mightest by them mightest war a good warfare. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 1 John 5.4 says, And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Matthew 11.12 Jesus said, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And those are just a handful of scriptures that we could take out of the Bible that show that we're in a fight. Not so much a natural fight, but a spiritual one that is violently colliding with the evil in society that's trying to destroy the church and all humanity. I mean, these two forces are colliding. We're in a fight. And as we can see from those scriptures I just looked at, the fight is a fight of faith. That's interesting. We fight a fight of faith. Now, why would that be? Well, it would be because faith is the ingredient that pleases God. As long as faith is involved in it, that pleases God. Because when faith is involved, that says, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I have to trust you. You have to do it. And I believe what you said. Uh, I mean, that, that, it, it, that's why. Faith, and I said this last week, and, 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 and uh, uh, L.A. asked a great question, so I'm going to try to answer it a little bit here. Faith is a violent force. Faith will change and alter a generation. Faith, when I mean, when it's for when, it, when it's for God's glory, when it's employed, it will change things. It's better than the Republican Party. It's better than the best plan you can come up with, finding out what God said and believing it. Now listen to these verses, and I've taught this before, but I want to look at it again for a few minutes. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know that verse. That's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now that's a description of this fight of faith right there. It says that, that it's a substance. It's not, it's not something that's not. It's a substance of what I hope for. It is the evidence of what I cannot see. I mean, I don't know if you've ever... Remember when Perry Mason was on TV, he never saw the murder, but he collected all the evidence. And then he would get in the courtroom and he would present the evidence of what he never saw. He never saw it. But the evidence told the truth of the fact, and then the guy on the stand would start crying out, I did it, I did it, and you know, try to shoot somebody or something. <laughs> Faith is something that's an evidence inside of us. It's a substance that's in us. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we believe what God said, it will change the things around us. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Then it almost seems like the scripture changed gears and says, through faith we understand the worlds are framed by the word of God. Let me just say, that verse, that, that verse about the elders and the verse about the, the world being framed, that's the same thought. He didn't switch gears and start talking about God creating the world. Then he goes on to talk about the elders in Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith. So let me explain verse 3 just a minute again. He says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The word worlds is the, is the Greek word ion. It means a, a period of time, an age. We get the word eon from that word ion. It says, through faith we understand that periods of time, Certain periods of time were framed. The word framed does not mean created. 
He's not talking about the creation of the world here. He says, he says we, we, we understand that certain periods of time were framed. The word frames is, is, is the Greek word katartizo, which doesn't mean to create, but it means to repair, to arrange. It means to put in order, to restore, or alter. Here's what the verse says, if you, if you take those words. It says, through faith we understand that periods of time were altered by the word of God. He's talking about the heroes of Hebrews 11 who had a word from God and they changed their world. They changed the time that they lived in because they had the word of God. And with the word of God, they altered it. That is a violent thing. Okay, now they didn't just sit on the couch and watch the Beverly Hillbillies and hope that something happened. They had a violent faith that, that grabbed hold of the word of God and they exercised what God, what, what God promised them, believing it, and it changed their world. God intends for that same thing to happen right now. It's time for the church to get up off the couch, out of the corner, out of the back somewhere, and stand up in the forefront and believe God. Quit complaining about all the things that are going bad. We have to know that they're happening, but we, we, we attack them with the word of God by faith. The world we live in can and will be altered by the word of God. Faith in this time of battle. It goes on to say that so that things which, which are seen were not made of things which do appear. We understand that what faith does is faith in the battle makes things, appear, even though we can't see them right now, it makes them come into appearance. It makes them manifest. Faith calls those things that be not as though they are. Faith calls for what God said. Only what God said. Isn't that good? We have hope if we believe God. We have hope in what He's promised. See, we're in a fight for our nation. Yes, sir. The scripture about the violence will take it by force. Uh-huh. What's to be given? The what? What's to be given? The kingdom. It says the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it, the kingdom, by force. And so it's by force that we take the kingdom. And that's talking about a life of faith that holds on to what God has said, promises what God said. The purpose of the church, I'm getting off my subject here, but the purpose of the church, yeah, we get to go to heaven, but the purpose of the church is to bring heaven to earth, Amen. is to establish the kingdom of God here, is to enlarge the kingdom of God here. This, the kingdom should be an ever-expanding kingdom in the earth because believers believe what God said. That's why Gary goes around the world to preach and teach the word, to enlarge the kingdom. We have to understand this faith is violent, and, and I'll tell you, it, it, it will pull down kingdoms. It will pull down strongholds. It will pull down forces that, that we can't see, but we can see the result, the manifestation of our believing God because we'll see what happens. Ooh, man, that makes me excited. See, see we're, we're in this fight and the people of the, of the modern church today are, by and large, not being prepared for the fight. They're being prepared to, to get their thing and, you know, I don't know, all the, the topics that they can come up with about, you know, getting a new Cadillac or whatever it might be. But the purpose of faith is to get God what he wants, always to get God what he wants. And that's what we're after. The apostle said, we wrestle 
not against flesh and blood. The word wrestle is an interesting word. When we, when we, when we think of the word wrestle, we either think of wrestlemania, which is fake. No, it's not fake. Never mind. It's, it's a real thing. I mean, those men, those men and women are fantastic athletes because of what they have to do to make that happen. Or we think of wrestle in terms of, of the Olympics, you know, where there are three short rounds and you try to get somebody pinned and there are all kinds of rules and nobody gets hurt. That's what that's, what that's about. Now, in WrestleMania, they get hurt because they throw chairs and, you know, at least they act like they get hurt. But the readers of Paul's day, when he said the word wrestle, he, they understood he, that he was not referring to some uh, uh, kind governed sport. He was referring to the hand-to-hand combat sports that took place in what was called the, the palestra, which were the stadiums in the centers of most of the larger cities of the day. And they had these, these events that they called wrestling. There were two or three of them. But the fight was either to the death or until the opponent was so maimed he could fight no longer. There weren't time limits. There were no rules. They just fought until somebody won. Fighters in those games never retired. They died in the arena. When Paul saw him at wrestling, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this thing. See, spiritual warfare is very real. It's very real. We must be trained in spiritual warfare. We've got to be trained if we intend to gain victory in our nation, in our churches. We must be trained. We've got to know we have to fight. We've got to be prepared. The adversary is very real and he's working hard to make you believe he's not. He's very real. All right? I mean, there are foul forces of darkness that work behind almost every disaster work behind all, all the failures, moral failures, that they're out there. But these demonic spirits can't do anything unless our flesh cooperates with them. Isn't this great? They may come to tempt us, to seduce us, deceive us, assault us, but they have to partner with us as we listen to them and cooperate with what they're saying and if we, if we refuse that, their attempts are futile against us. We don't have to partner with them at all. The greatest key to winning is pretty simple. I mean, is to keep our minds dominated by the Word of God. You can identify the lie. You can identify the circumstance. And you can determine that this is not what God said in His Word. And I have authority over this. We do that. I mean, we we got to keep our flesh under. I know that we have to. We have to let the Holy Spirit help us. We, you know. But if we'll get our minds renewed, I tell you, we're going to win this thing. That's why Peter says in First Peter one three to gird up the loins of your mind. We've got to learn. We've got to learn that this fight the devil wants to bring to us is all about fear, intimidation. He, he wants us to be afraid because if we'll get afraid, we'll be paralyzed and we'll do nothing. We've got to be people of God who know how to fight a fight in the Spirit, who had how to believe what God said and see our world changed by the Word of God. Well, that was good. Now that brings me to our text. We've been talking about this text for about three or four weeks now. It says, 
in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed. That's kind of the whole subject here is being transformed. We've been looking at being transformed. The New Living Translation says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A lot of important things there. We all want to know the will of God, right? We all want that. Okay? We all need to be transformed. Let me ask you an important question. Is anyone perfect already? No, no, nobody's perfect already. In other words, we all need transformation. We all need to change. A lot. We need to change. We need, we need our minds to be renewed. We've not arrived at this Christ-like perfection, and we need to change. We need to be transformed. We need to be something else. We are changed by the renewing of our mind. We talked about the word renewing means renovation. I mean, tearing out the old stuff, throwing it away, and putting it all, making it all new. We need our minds renewed. We need them changed. Doesn't come, doesn't come by a group of us laying hands on you. That isn't go, that isn't going to transform you. It comes by the way you think, by what you, how, how you think. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Something needs to happen to our minds after we get born again. I don't know about you. I got saved when I was seven. But I became a new creature. But I still had on the same tennis shoes. Was still wearing the same shirt. Still had the same haircut. Still looked the same when I looked in the mirror. But the Bible said I became a new creature. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 6.15, that we became new creatures. That's not talking about our bodies. It's not talking about our minds. It's talking about our spirit man was born again and came to life. And that spirit man became a brand new creature. Now, what needs to happen is, is that spirit man that's on the inside of me needs to work its way out. Get into my body. Get into my mind. See, we, we, we understand that. The, the, the spirit man became new, but the body didn't. The mind didn't. So we need to learn to control the body. We need to renew the mind. I found out that my problems didn't end with the new birth. I still got mad at my sister. And then as I grew into a young man, I had other problems that were even bigger than that because I had to renew my mind. We no longer have to be servants of sin because the greater one lives on the inside of us. But it's up to us to make some choices along the way and to learn how to think right by renewing our mind. All right? Some people say, well, yeah, but I just can't do that. I just can't do that. Listen, no defeated ones were born into the kingdom of God. Everyone that was born again was born a conqueror was born with the ability to overcome the enemy. We have today the very same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. And if Jesus could overcome, we can overcome. We're not him. We're, we, we haven't reached that level of perfection. We have, we have eternity to do that. But we understand tonight 
that we have that same spirit. It says we're not to be conformed. Conformed, we talked about it. It means to be conformed to the same pattern. Never before in my life have I ever seen in this nation the pressure to simply conform. I mean, it is everywhere. It is the pressure to conform, the pressure to be like this, the pressure to look like this, the pressure to do that. It is everywhere. We are not to be conformed. We're to be transformed. As we read, that means to change into another person, to change into something else. It's a total change after we're born again. I don't know if you realize this, but the book of Romans wasn't written to lost people. It's written to Christians. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 1, it's written to saints. Not sinners, but saints. Okay, that's who the book of Romans was written to. It's written to the saved and not the lost. Okay, so we understand that the new birth is simply the beginning of change in our lives. And it works its way out and we change. Hopefully, as you've been born again, you've matured to some degree. We were back in the denominational church I was from. They talked about, you know, how long people have been saved. And, you know, they're going like, well, I've been saved. I've been saved for 30 years. I used to, I was pretty critical of those days. I've never liked a lot of pretense in church anyway. And and, and a guy would say, and I knew the guy was as carnal as the day is long because I was as carnal as the day is long. And the guy would say, I've been, I've been saved. I'm, I'm a 30-year-old Christian. I, said, I, I was like, no, you're not. You're a one-year-old Christian 30 times. We need to mature. We need to, things need to change in us. We need to be changed. Listen to these verses of Scripture. This is Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh... Now listen to this phrase, do mind. Though they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the, the things of the Spirit. They do mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if, you, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now those are pretty powerful words the apostle said. He said, do mind, mind the things of the flesh. The, the phrase, do mind, the, the, the Greek word here is, is phroneo. It means to exercise the mind. And so when it says here, for they that are after the flesh do exercise the mind on things of the flesh. That means they're thinking about things of the flesh. Those that are, those that are of the spirit exercise their mind on things of the spirit. That, that little word phroneo is the same word that's used in, in Colossians 3.2 that says set your affection. Set your mind. It's your mind, the exercise of your mind. He says that to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So my mind, what my mind is fixed on, what my mind is, is, is exercised upon, that determines what happens in my life. So it says that what I think determines life and peace or it determines death. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? To be spiritually minded, to focus my mind, is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. So here's the fact. It matters what you think about. It, it just matters. It matters what you think about. Thinking the wrong thing ministers death to us. There are deadly thoughts that you can have. 
If you think about them long enough, it's tantamount to holding a gun to your head. Because there are deadly thoughts that produce death. We must rebuke and cast down some thoughts. We must get rid of them. They're dangerous thoughts. This is what I know. Even the most spiritual child of God that you've ever met has at some point in their life found some very perverted thoughts in their mind. And they had to deal with them. They have to be dealt with. The devil tries to bring all kinds of thoughts to us. I mean, he wants, he wants them to come. The devil will make you think all kinds of things at the craziest moments. But the reality is you don't have to take every thought that he brings. He'll, he'll bring them, but you don't have to take them. Jesus said it this way, take no thought saying. And the best way to take a thought is to say it out loud. When he was saying take no thought, he was talking about anxious thoughts there. But the devil, he brings them. You don't have to think every thought the devil brings to you. The devil comes and says, I hate him. You don't have to take that thought? Why did I ever marry her? Why would you ever take that thought? You don't have to take it. But if you storm off and you start saying it out loud, you just took it. We don't have to take every thought that comes. I don't have to think them. Well, I just can't stop thinking about it. Well, that's just not true. You don't have to take every thought. Now, it may take some discipline, and it may take some time, but you don't have to take every thought. The Bible says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word sound mind, that phrase sound mind, it literally means a saved brain. God has given us a spirit of a saved brain that doesn't have to think the thoughts that don't agree with what God said. Isn't this good? I mean, we can have a saved mind. As long as I think that I can't, that I can't help what I think, I'm a victim of whatever the devil wants to do and I volunteered for it. I don't have to take it. I don't have to take it. It matters what we think on. Life and death are at stake. There are some things we're commanded in Scripture to think. And some things we're commanded not to think. You'd be amazed if you just read through the Scripture how many times it says, think not. And then how many times it says, consider this or consider that. The Bible tells us what not to think. It tells us what to think. If I can't control my thoughts, then God wouldn't have given me the instruction of what I'm supposed to think about. He gives me the option. He tells me. See, I can do whatever He tells me to do in His Word. I don't know about that. Yes, you can. You can. You've got to think the right way. I mean, if we think we can't help it, God would have never written the Word to us if we couldn't help it. I mean, it's silly to think that God would give instructions to me to think not about this, to not think about that. And then I say, oh, God, I can't help it. I, I just can't. I can't. I can't. And I, you know, then God would have said, well, I'm just so sorry. I didn't know you were that weak-minded. Jesus, come over here. He can't do it. That simply is not true. I can think whatever I want. This is what I know. No child of God has to think on things they shouldn't think about. You just don't have to. 
My mind is my mind. I don't have to think about wrong things. It's my mind. Our mental health depends on this, folks. We need to be thinking. You need, you need to decide today, I have a sound mind. I have the mind of Christ. Think about this. I have the, the very mind of Christ. I have the very peace of Jesus. The very peace. He said, my peace I give to you. I have his mind. I have his peace. You need to be saying to yourself and to anybody else, I will never lose my mind. I will never go crazy or insane. My mind is my mind. We, we can't turn loose of that. That's the reality that's promised to us. Some thoughts are deadly and they're poisonous. But we are supposed to be transformed. I mean, we're to be changed to be more and more like Him because our thoughts are being trained to think on His Word. I love it in, in the book of Acts. The religious leaders, they took note of the disciples because they had been with Jesus. Well, how did they know that? Because they talked like Jesus. They acted like Jesus because they were thinking like Jesus. And they were like, hmm, they're, they're, they're just like Jesus. In fact, they call them Christians in Antioch because they were like little Jesus running around everywhere. There's way too much ungodly thinking in the church. We've got to come back to the place that we decide my mind is my mind. I choose to yield it to God. We can't, we can't, we can't even assume that the bulk of, of, of the thoughts I thought coming growing up were right. You figured out a lot of those thoughts weren't right? I mean, I mean we, we thought all kinds of things were right. This is what I know. We taught last time. His thoughts are precious. His thoughts are precious. Not Grandma. Not Uncle Harvey. God's thoughts are precious. And if they taught me to think something that's different than what God said, I've got to get that out of my life. And I can't make my doctrine out of that. I mean, God's going to talk to us, but we've got to examine and verify what we believe with the Word of God. I can't tell you how many times this... As a pastor over the years, I had to change my theology because I realized that what I was teaching wasn't even in the Bible. I mean, you know, one time, I, one time, I don't know if I'll tell this. One time I was teaching about Socrates and his his uh, personalities, and I'm teaching about that in church, you know. And and so, after it was over, sweet lady, wonderful woman of God, came to my house, and she said. Pastor, that is really very good. Can you show me where it says that in the Bible? <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm sure that Jesus knew who Socrates was. And if it would have been that important, I bet he would have taught it. I taught for like four or five weeks on it. I had to change the way I thought about it. There's some truth in that stuff, but it's not in the Bible. We've got to examine it. I mean, we need to find out what does God say, if I can find it in his word, I can have it as a doctrine. If I can't find it, it can't be my way of faith or living. So I found out this. Not everything they tell you at church is in the word. Just because it's in the song doesn't make it God. Just because they sang it and you got goosebumps doesn't mean it agrees with the Bible. I think every believer ought to go home every Sunday and look up the words of the songs and find out if you believe them or not and if you want to repeat them or not. I mean, you, 
may need to change the words as you're singing it, but you don't have to agree with that stuff. I mean, I've counseled people before, and they go, well, it's in the song. So what? Is it in the Bible? What did God say? So we need to examine those things. So, what time is it? Good. Let me ask you a question. What is a thought? If there's so, What is a thought? I mean, we all think thoughts. But did you ever think, what is a thought? I mean, I remember watching Gomer Pyle one time. It was Andy Griffith shows that when Gomer Pyle went in the Marines. And he was messing up. And so Sergeant Carter made him sit in the barracks with a bucket on his head and told him to think for a while. And Andy came up to the window and he said, Gomer, what are you doing under there? And he said, thinking. And he said, well, what are you thinking about? And he said, thinking about whatever he said I'm thinking about. He said, he said, he said, it really works, Andy. Here, try it. You, might, you want to take a thunk? And he's going to put it on Andy's head because he needed to think better. Well, we need to get some kind of bucket in our heads to think. What is a thought? What is a thought? What is that? Well, let's find out. If we, if we can find the answer to the Bible, that's a good answer, right? Let me read you this. This is Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, you know this story. It's right before the flood, right before Noah got on the ark. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, the world comes to this place of destruction because of what people were thinking. Their thoughts were wrong. I mean, they thought only evil continually. I mean, that'd be like if you came to Lubbock, everybody thought only evil continually. And then you go to Midland, they're doing the same thing, only evil continually. Go to Amarillo, the, the whole world, something was happening in the whole world that they were only thinking evil continually. They weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about good. Every, everywhere you went, it was the same with the exception of Noah and his family. Only evil all the time. Something was going on in that world to influence the whole world to think this way. It mattered what they were thinking about, didn't it? It mattered to them. Ooh, man, the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel was hid. Their minds were blinded. The God of this world blinded the minds. Their, their minds. This is talking about their thoughts. The, listen, do you think the gospel's been preached in the earth? Oh, yeah, the gospel's been preached all around the world. It's been preached here and there. I've gone places where they've never even heard the gospel, but it's been preached. But there's an influence in the earth that is blinding the minds of people. It's blinding them. I mean, Jesus is the very image of God. He should shine. It should be visible in all the darkness. I mean, through his word or through his thoughts, the thoughts of God, the light would illuminate people, but there's darkness doing everything it can to prevent it. It's a pervasive darkness over the whole planet. You ever notice that? 
I mean, you can, you can, Tammy and I have experiences where we go into certain cities, it's like it is dark here. There's darkness here. And there are good people there, but it's darkness. The basic message of the gospel is preached everywhere, and yet people remain lost. I was praying for a man one night in the hospital. He was dying. He was going to be dead by morning. And I said, let's pray a prayer because you, you, you're dying tonight, but you don't want to miss heaven. Let's just pray together and, and invite Jesus to come into your heart. And the guy looked at me and said, I'm not ready. And I said, when would you be ready? And he died that night without Jesus, as far as I know. He was blinded because the God of this world blinded him. People remain lost because they can't see, because their minds are blinded. That's what was going on in Noah's time. They were blinded. People always scheming evil, murder, hate, adultery, lust, whatever was going on. I mean, it was always dark, always dark. I'm looking forward one day to go to heaven. There's going to be no darkness in heaven. There'll be no heaviness in heaven. I mean, the, I just finished reading Revelation recently. And, I mean, God is the light of heaven. No darkness. No heaviness in heaven. Because there's no sin and there's no curse. Wrong thinking taints the very atmosphere. If you're walked into a store and just like, something not right here. You can't put your hands on it. You can't tell what's going on, but you understand from the spirit, the heaviness, the tainted atmosphere, that something's going on. See, even in this world, we have we have a, a knowing of that. I mean, we can tell sometimes when things are not clean. Let me, go off the subject. Let me get back to Genesis 6. It says, I like what it says here in Genesis 6. It says that, the, that every imagination of the thoughts of his hearts were only evil continually. When it says the word thoughts, the Hebrew word literally means to weave, to fabricate. In other words, make something. Someone making something, to fabricate something, to weave something. The word imagination or the word imagine, it means to mold into a form, to squeeze into a shape. A thought is a shaper. A thought helps form you. The thought produces an image. Every time you think something, you get an image. I mean, if I said the word dog tonight, some of you may be thinking of this dog, some of that dog, your dog. But if I said a Labrador Retriever, now you got a different image. If I said, I don't know, a, a black Cocker Spaniel, you got a whole different image. If I said a three-legged dog, you got a whole different image. Because a thought creates an image. Or an imagination. Because you create the image in your mind. Okay, it's the imagination. A thought, then, is a shaper a thought weaves it. A thought is a spirit substance that, that shapes things. That's why Romans 12 says, don't be formed or shaped, but be transformed. Don't let the world form you. Thoughts of the world mold you. Be transformed into the image of the one that came and died for you. Our future is shaped by what we think. <laughs> what do you think about all the time? Well, you know, we're supposed to meditate in the Word day and night. And I heard somebody say, oh, you can't do that. And the Lord would, would differ with you, I'm afraid. He would say, you're thinking about something the whole time you're awake anyway. 
The deal is you have to choose what you think. The, the thought is a shaper. The more, more and more we ought to be thinking and speaking like him. The only way that happens is taking time in his word. Our eternal destiny is to think like him, to spend eternity with him. And we may only be a little bit like him now, but we will get there eventually because Jesus is going to take us to heaven and he's believing we're going to get there. But our future is shaped by our thoughts. The Bible says this in John 3, 2, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now you're the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what it shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Because we're being changed. We're being altered. We're being changed. Jesus tells us, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. We need to be like him. Our thoughts, our thoughts will change us. Our thoughts will change us. We do not have to conform to the world. We don't have to be like the world. We don't have to submit to the world. It's like this. God is the potter. We're the clay. And if we'll submit to his thoughts, submit to what he says, he is the potter. He makes us. He forms us. The formation is already on the inside of God. It's in his thoughts. You are already in his thoughts. And he forms you based on his thoughts. And that's how he makes us as we comply and believe what he's saying in his word. I mean, we, we have to realize that. We are like that clay. We are in his thoughts. He, he forms us. He makes us. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 3.14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is take, done away in Christ. It's talking about the children of Israel, the Jewish people, that when the law is read... They had, Moses had a veil over his face after he came off the, the mount because he, all this glory was shining from him. But it's saying the people afterward had a veil over their, their eyes. They couldn't see. But it says in Christ, the veil is taken away so that we can see. Thoughts are spiritual substance that have the power to shape. The potter has already seen what shape he wants us to be in. Even though when he looks at it, it's just a lump of clay, he molds it because he's already seen it. God made us to be conformed into his exact image. That's what he desires. Our Father looks at us through the righteousness of Jesus until we're formed. But we have to let our mind, mind come to be with him. We are a priceless, each of us is a priceless, one-of-a-kind vessel that God forms. We're not to be molded to look just like the world. He shapes us. I love the rest of that chapter. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed, transformed is the word, into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. It's talking about as we gaze into the word, gaze into the word, gaze into the word, the veil is taken away and there's freedom. We gaze into it. People were blind, but now we can receive sight as we behold the glory of the Lord from His Word. We're changed. We're transformed. We look in the mirror of His Word. We see the exact image of Christ, and we're being made to be just like that because we're looking at Him. As we behold the book, we're changed. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that our eyes would be enlightened, that the Lord would help us see what we need to be. He's already done the work. We just have to see it and believe it. We're changed into what we're looking at in the Word as we behold it. This is what I understand. Beholding the Word is becoming what the Word says. Beholding is becoming. We become what we behold. As we're beholding it, we're changed from glory 
to glory. It's a progressive transformation. Our thoughts mold us. And we have become today what we've thought in the past. And if that's good or bad, we have the opportunity from this moment forward to think different so that our thoughts, so we can become the result of the thoughts from this moment forward and be transformed into what God's called me to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the word of God. I thank you tonight, God, that we do not have to conform to the world. Our job is not to be pressured to be like the world, but our job is to serve the Christ. Our job is to serve our Father. Lord, we worship you tonight. We honor you and we endeavor with everything in us to change the way we think, to conform to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.